Welcome to the Open Div Summit, a four-day pod conference around spirituality and meaning-making in the modern world. Each day, February 25th to 28th, we'll be releasing 10 to 20 pre-recorded conversations with top academics, theologians, clergy, and secular community leaders. In addition, each day we're hosting several live, interactive events on Zoom. We'd love to see you there. For more, check out summit.opendiv.org. Today's conversation is with Barbara Groff. Barbara is the founder and creative director of the Nomadic School of Wonder and handles experience design for the immersive art project known as Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Since founding the Nomadic School of Wonder in 2015, Barbara leads a traveling troupe of artists, teachers, and adventurers who create adventures in awe in small towns throughout the world. Each site-specific sensory-driven adventure is a unique, joyous, and spontaneous experience into the unknown. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, Barb, I'm super excited to be here and, and for this conversation. Same here, Casey. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, so we were just talking a little bit in the pre-interview about kind of your path to starting Nomadic School of Wonder. For folks who are unfamiliar with the org, as you mentioned before, probably most of our audience, can you just tell a little bit about kind of how you, I guess, what brought you to starting it, kind of coming out of your experience design work, and uh, what is the current manifestation? Thank you. Yes, it came out of being with people who were dying. That's really how Nomadic School of Wonder came into being. I had the privilege of being with people who were in their last days, weeks, months of living. And I had kind of a series of people close to me go through this. And I discovered during that time as an experienced designer that they were more alive while they were dying than many of us are why we are so-called living, right? So I thought at first, well, maybe I'll apply the learnings that I've had of kind of the preciousness of life and, and just how life can kind of take on a kind of technicolor presence when you have a limited time on the planet. I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll work with people who are dying, you know, similar to like what they've done with the Zen hospice in San Francisco. And maybe it's about applying my experience design skills to that. But then I, uh, as I really dug into that, I just thought, this opportunity of not wasting the time that we have here on the planet and finding ways to infuse wonder into experiences and, and really activate the human interface, the hands, the eyes, and you know, all of our senses in bringing us fully alive. And to do so in a way that didn't have a lot of limitations. A lot of the work that I do in my day jobs through the years as an experienced designer and creative director Often like the wonder, the joy, the laughter, it's there in like the first idea, the first brainstorm and the first ideation. And then somehow through this process, sometimes over months or years, it gets kind of wrung out, the joy and the, the wonder. And you open something and you're like, what happened there? You know, there's still some essence of it. So I just wanted it to be a little bit more concentrated and free, if that makes sense. So yeah. I just had this idea, a daydream wrote it down on a piece of paper during a meeting, school of wonder, I want to do that thing, whatever that is. Then I did a quick little kind of sketch and invited some friends to meet me in Santa Fe. And the concept is that we take a theme and we explore it through the senses. So our first theme was on death and rebirth, sort of paying, honoring how the school of wonder came to be. And rather than talking about you know, death and rebirth. We actually invited people uh, along with a palliative care doctor by the name of Dr. Alex Haddad 
to step into a pine box coffin and do a death meditation and actually have the visceral feeling of what it might be, whether or not you're planning on being in a coffin or not, but what that final moment might be like. And I was a little skeptical as to whether or not that was really going to be a profound experience for people. And it turned out to be quite profound. And it sounds a little crazy and a little weird, but it it was done in a very kind of sacred way. And then it was followed by a contemplative dinner outside in Galisteo, New Mexico, under the kind of milkiest Milky Way ever. And a very joyful kind of reflection on, okay, now that you've had that experience, how do we want to go forward into our lives with less fear and more joy and more wonder? Can I ask a question? Yes, sure. That's, yes, that's I, your role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. I love that you did that. That's a, a kind of crazy. That's like an idea I've been playing with for a couple of years is doing something like that. Cacophony Society is like a big inspiration. I know from a lot of people in the experience design world, I know they kind of did some similar things like that. One thing I've always kind of been concerned about is like, yeah, how emotionally salient it could be when you put someone in a coffin. And I'm curious, kind of like, what kind of framing did you did you all do? I imagine there was some kind of like pre-care to really kind of like bring people in. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we had a palliative care. That's what we had, you know, doctors standing by, so to speak. Not only standing by, facilitating the experience, a palliative yeah. care doctor who is very well versed in this and has and had done this quite a bit. I think he he calls it an awake, this experience, yeah. an awake. So it was a small group, maybe 25, 30 of us. It was our friend Alex and his wife, uh, Martha, and they facilitated it. In fact, I said to them, I think I want to book you two for when I actually go, because they were such care and such warmth and such an invitation to to hop into the coffin, you know, (laughs) and I'm claustrophobic. So I didn't have a meltdown. So that was, that was pretty good. But I I do think it's, you know, it's all about intention, right? How you, it was in a quiet room. It was, you know. Was it one by one or did you have kind of like a row of coffins? We had, people went in one by one and you can imagine me as a producer trying to find a coffin for rental for an evening for a day of the dead experience, right? Yeah. But uh, strangely enough, I located one just about 20 minutes away. And, you know, I had to ask them questions like, is it comfortable? And they said, well, you know, actually, I haven't even laid in our own coffins. But, right. but it was an experience where you went in in small groups, three or four, and each person got in one at a time with two people facilitating the experience. And it was a short, brief amount of time inside it, right? It was for somebody like me who's claustrophobic, it was probably, you know, felt like an hour, but it was maybe, you know, a minute. But it, it was super profound and like a sensory deprivation moment as well. Yeah. And I have to say, I had a lot of, I had a real desire to giggle when lid was shut. Like, I don't know why I got the giggles, but there was something about the whole thing that I found quite funny. And then when the lid was actually shut, I stopped giggling. Like, I was like, right. okay, what's So it's interesting. I can tell that you've, you've been thinking about this kind of experience. Yeah, I mean, pre-COVID, anyway, this is a total aside. This is purely my own gratification, but it's such an interesting thing that you did. Yeah, and it sounds kind of weird, but so it wasn't for shock value. It was really for contemplative value, you know? And then in our rebirth the next day, we had play and movement, and we really feel like you can mix both depth and joy in these experiences. I have a, a past of creating a lot of personal development videos and interactive programs. And sometimes I think that we can take ourselves way too seriously as well. 
Right. So part of this is being respectful and sacred, but also being open to what I think the central theme of what we try to do is to create the conditions for wonder to be present and for us to meet that mystery, you know, to kind of dance, commune with that mystery and know that we'll never fully understand what that is, but learn how to invite it into our lives. So, so cool. And so that was the first experience for the Nomadic School of Wonder. It was. The first like official experience was October 2015 in Galisteo, New Mexico, small town here in New Mexico, 200 people. Yeah. A lot of artist friends live there. And so we based it there and, and we continued that model. I just felt that there's a lot happening in small towns across the world that we could have a more intimate kind of experience with the people and the place and the landscape. So we started doing that in Pie Town, New Mexico, where we do pie making by day and night sky gazing at night with the pie lady of Pie Town, Kathy Knapp. We also go to very remote locations, Fogo Island, which is the Fogo Island Inn, which is a social enterprise that was started by Zita Cobb, who grew up on the island. And it's an island off an island, off an island, I believe. It's in the North Atlantic. It's the flat earthers say it's the edge, the edge of the earth, right? Wow. And we've been going back there. We try to go back there annually and we bring our artists and our wonder makers and we collaborate with the local community, local artists, local square dancers, local quilters, and we create experiences and we bring guests along. So for the last you know, five years, we've been returning to these places time and time again. And so we've really built up a relationship and we all can't wait to get back to that. You know, we're, We have real relationships in places like Iceland, Fogo Island in New Mexico right. and Woodstock, New York and all over the world. Yeah. Right. Well, and so I'm curious, you know, is it more like Burning Man or one of these kind of like purely co-creational experiences where for the most part, everyone who's coming is kind of contributing in a way, or is it kind of like half this kind of co-created artistic experience, but there's also kind of folks who are maybe like coming along for the ride and are like paying and funding part of it? Yeah, these are paid for experiences, although we do offer scholarships and we bring artists along and we really try to make it very accessible. And we do experiences, everything from backyard new moon tent wonder ceremonies to day long to week long. So it really has a kind of wide spectrum. But yeah, it's it's kind of somewhere in between, I would say, where it's not a complete free for all. I think some of the best experiences have really good focus containers and invitations in. And then from there, people can decide how much they want to participate. Yeah, so interesting. You know, I'm curious. So you go back to these places year after year. I guess we can come back. I'm sure the question will come alive at some point. I'm curious for you, you mentioned earlier that kind of doing work in the professional space for, you know, experience design work for corporates kind of lost some of its, or felt like kind of limiting and constraining in some ways. I know also kind of creative work can also lose some of its touch over time, or it can kind of, I've noticed my own projects, something gets started with a break, a strong sense of kind of mission or real kind of heart resonance can become, you know, more just the, the superficial structures of it after time. And I'm curious for you, what, you know, it's been a number of years now since the first kind of trip and the first experience, what keeps things fresh for you? And and have you found ways to kind of bring that kind of continual renewal and vitality into the work? Yes, that's a great question. That is the the ever 
elusive goal and experience for us as we designed the experience of making this for everybody else. And I think the moment that best characterizes it and the moment that I get the most joy out of is when we say, okay, we're going to go to Fogo Island this year. And our theme is belonging, right? Or our theme was something to do with the mummers and belonging. And one of the artists would say, hey, I have an idea, you know, like we could all get dressed up in this, we could go out in this boat, and then I could light this thing on fire. And then, you know, I could set it out to sea, but then we'd pull it back in, it would be sustainable, yada, yada. But I'd really love to do that. And I'm like, great, let's do that. <laughs> let's talk to our friends in Fogo Island. And they're like, oh, you know, we're fishing people. I think we can figure this one out. I love the moment where I don't have to say to the artists, no, we can't do that. No, but I can just say, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And I think that's how we kind of keep it alive in the sense that I often find that the kind of, you know, we do a lot of research in depth, but the sort of beginning ideas and thoughts and experiences that we come up with, that we first dream up, have this really powerful alchemical sort of material in it that we just don't want to dampen as we go throughout the process of developing it. And I just think not overthinking things is one thing. I think we, we all tend to overthink a little bit too much. And we also tend to over-program a little too much. And so what we really try to do is not overthink it, trust our intuition. If something is going to you know tickle us, make us laugh, make us feel we're like, yeah, let's do that. Let's try it. Like, let's experiment. And I think not being too precious about the container, like, hey, this is a 30-person experience or it's a 50-person experience. You know, no one's going to get hurt for, you know, we, we really try to make it very safe. Let's have some fun and experiment. So I, I think that that's one way we do it. And then we also purposely leave room for the unexpected, the magic to show up. And it always does if we leave room for it. Right. I think we've all been at these kind of conferences or experiences where it's just programmed wall to wall to wall to wall. And the best times are like the in-between, right? It's yeah, like the yeah. late night conversations or something like that. So right. we just try to invert that a little bit. Then we also give people permission to do whatever they want to do. Like, hey, we've got these opportunities, but if you just want to go take a walk on the island and be with the land, then go do that. So, right, right. And the other ways we just keep it alive is that we're, we're constantly bringing new people into the mix in terms of new artists that we're working with. And so I just get to have a hunch like this artist and that artist, we put them together. I wonder what will happen. And so I think it's, it's that as well. And then just the fact that we, we all just have a blast. Like I never, I don't, yeah. I laugh so much working and designing with these artists. So and cool. with our, our group. Yeah. That's always the joy of finding a group of people to collaborate with. So it sounds like, really found a great team to work with. It's been wonderful. It's actually a lot of people that showed up to the first School of Wonder. They just said, hey, we really love, you know, it was organically grown. So it's like, we really love this. Let's do this again. That's really how it came out of that. And I, I think there's something to be said for not having a whole scaling strategy before you even bring your little baby experiences out into the world. Yeah. I really like the fact that I took off some of the, let's say, constraints that I would have in the kind of grown-up experience design world. Right, right. I just said, hey, let's see what it wants to become. And I think there's also something to be said for kind of slow cooking your experiences and your offerings in the world rather than feeling like everything has to be at scale year one, year two. 
So yeah. that's been really nice. So we've been able to find over five years what our core DNA is. We do a mixture of nature, art, community, and play. That's sort of our portals in to wonder. And we it's some mixture of those things. And our teachers are everything from a ball of clay with a master teacher here that we work with in Galisteo by the name of Judy Tuwalet-Stiwa to wild Mustangs in Southern Utah or here in Santa Fe as well. We work with the horse sanctuary here, or it could just be the forest. We just literally just, you know, sit down on a forest floor and be quiet and see what happens from there. So I think that for us, it's been this journey of tapping into kind of the wisdom of, of what's right in front of us, uh, especially with nature and the wisdom of nature and the wisdom of of the earth through clay in other ways. So, yeah. And what I was able to find online about medical wonder and some of the stuff you sent over before we talked, you know, a lot of the one word kept coming up that I really struck by, which was like multi-sensory experiences. I guess that's two words. But it, you know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about as you know, I consider myself more of a community designer who's now kind of beginning to dabble in experience design and like immersive design because that's part of really designing communities. You know, you come together in a gathering and it's really like, what are those gatherings look like? Is, you know, a lot, I think there's a lot to learn from the experience design world. But I'm curious, you know, what goes into how you're thinking about how to utilize different stimuli? Because it's not just like we're going to throw all the stimuli we can at someone. Is there almost like a, a theory of change, if you will, or kind of like a sense of how you hope the experiences that are on offer kind of, you know, evoke something in in a person and maybe like evoke a change in the person? Or is it really just a sense of like, you know, if we can really cultivate wonder in a person's life, that in and of itself is going to be the kind of the transformational kind of pathway. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't quite figured out whether, you know, wonder is the elusive carrot in it or, you know, what in the mixture, but I do know that when people feel more fully alive, it's when we've opened up and enlivened their senses And to do that, not in an assault of the senses, but in a, like I use the word evoking. So we like to play a lot with, we have a couple of our artists that we work with, Sky Avakian and Hagop Bellian. Hagop, he creates these beautiful handmade incense cones that he packages with a note that says, listen to the smoke, right? So you you light it and you listen to the smoke. So he, it's really about kind of like subtle or the, you know, whether it's the sage, if we're in ceremony, we're using the sage, it could be a wonderful chocolate that we're biting into, but they all kind of are thematically and conceptually connected to bringing you into an experience of your, your senses. And they normally are supporting, deepening your experience of a theme that we have. And we don't hit you over the head with it. It's kind of like a little bit of a sensory breadcrumb trail. And then they all start kind of connecting and choreographing. And we realize, oh, we're actually exploring the world of death and rebirth through this ball of clay, right? But we don't like, because it's constantly shifting. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that comes up, you know, we were talking before about how you were able to treat Nomadic School of Wonder differently than like adult experience design, right? <laughs> um, it could kind of like have a sense of play and can be what it needed to be. And I, I think this is something that I also see a lot in both the community world and the experience design world, this idea of almost being like bivocational of like having the way to make a living and having, you know, making a living through the craft in some way, but also the need for like, even if you're getting paid to do 
this craft that like you maybe like a year ago, decades ago, whatever, however long it is, when you first started out doing it, you dreamed that one day someone would pay you to do these things that, you know, it's like so these far afield. Right. Like it's like, yeah, we pay to experiences are not like sitting behind a computer and like, you know, uh, balancing a spreadsheet. Right. But then there's like that in and of itself often isn't enough to kind of like maintain or cultivate that new creative seed. And like, we need these separate spaces where there's just full creative license to do whatever we want or to, that doesn't have some of the same pressures of you know, commercial viability or all these things. And so I'm curious, I know you've done a lot of corporate work as well. And you mentioned in the pre-interview that we're also, you've kind of shifted some of how you've related to that in recent years. So I'd be curious if you talk at all about that. I think for folks like myself who might be still exploring, you know, what can I really expect from paid work versus hard work? And like, how do I balance both in my life? Or can they be the same? I had a pretty rigid (laughs) judgment about doing organizational work or corporate work with the Nomadic School of Wonder. I just thought, oh, if we do that, that's just going to be the end of things, right? So I really had to find my own way of dancing with that. And I also put off having to answer that question. We just opened this up to friends and friends and friends and friends. And and we kind of stayed away purposely from corporate work probably because my own limitations in my mind as what I thought was really possible. And then what I found is that people who would be coming on trips with us said, oh, I'd love to take this back to my team. Oh, this would be really amazing. Oh, this creativity workshop or that, can you come and do something for us? And I said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. In the future, we'll do that, right? And then just came a point where I said, okay, I'm going to really try to experiment here and see if we can take what we've developed what we think is so special, bring it to companies, just experiment with this, who we think are ready, who we think get what we're doing and see how it goes. And when we did that, it was pretty amazing because we didn't have to like change a thing, not even a word. You know, I thought I was gonna have to change at least some of the crazy things we were doing, like putting people into pine box coffins and things like this. But actually- Have you done that for corporates? Not yet, not exactly, but let's put it this way. We have clients who come to us who've actually done that for their team, right? So we, we found like-minded people in the world who understood what we were doing. Some of them would come on trips with us and adventures with us and said things like, hey, I want you to come in and I want you to break out. I want you to really crack these people open, <laughs> you know? And then right at the time we were doing that, within like a year of doing that, the pandemic started. And talk about something that actually cracked people open. Like when we started continuing doing this organizational work, we found that the people who perhaps might be our toughest audience were so open, ready, willing, wanting to invite what we might call magic wonder creativity into their lives. So we had kind of like the most optimal conditions to really be able to do deep and meaningful work with people who perhaps in other circumstances would have had their shields up. That makes a lot of sense and super interesting. Have you guys continued to kind of offer projects throughout the pandemic or yeah? Yeah. So again, you know, we had these ideas, we we do these wonder kits when people travel with us and they're multi-sensory wonder kits that you get when you arrive or they, little things appear outside your door or other places. And so what we do is we try to kind of invert it a little bit where we do less experiences online. You get a wonder adventure kit in the mail, multi-sensory, all handcrafted 
by our artists and by artists that we curate and bring together around a theme. And there's a multi-week experience in there. So you have a couple of touch points online with the, our Wondermaker teachers, but it's really kind of like your independent field wonder guide and right. activator kit. Super cool. Super cool. And, you know, it seems like really there's been this uptake of what you all are doing in the corporate world as it is, which is so cool. But it seems like that may not have been the case if you hadn't kind of like waited and allowed it to, to simmer. Yeah, I don't think I was ready yeah. for it. Like, even if it was ready, you might have changed it, is what I'm hearing. Is that right? Yeah, I think I just had this assumption, right, that we would have to contort in some way. And it wasn't, you know, it's not that we're super flexible. It's not that. It's just more that we we wanted to preserve the magic and the playful nature of what we do and not be too buttoned up about it. And what we're finding often, a good friend of mine, designer... Bruce Mal, he and I would talk about ideas that we'd have. We'd say we'd always have to put them in a time capsule for five years, then open them up and pitch them. And so I realized that I had enough patience after five years with School of Wonder to be able to then go and say, hey, you know, this is what we do. Are you interested in this? And, you know, we're still small, still getting started here, but I have a great confidence that the timing is ripe right now for people and wonder. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine post-pandemic in the aftertimes, there's going to be a real uh, craving for connection and also peak experiences. So, Yeah, it's um, interesting. You talked about designing communities. And in some ways, you might think that what we're doing with School of Wonders designing experiences. But I think our real offering is the community. Yeah. It's yeah. the real belonging and the connection, yeah. whether it's for a moment or like an evening or a a longer time or over the course of uh, our development. So I think yeah. we're, we're kind of working in the same space from different, from different angles. Yeah. No, it's so cool. I, I totally get that. I didn't mean to kind of draw such a distinction. I think like, you know, it's really interesting because I think when I think about, okay, how am I going to connect folks? I think of like, okay, we're going to create a container. Well, maybe we have some silence. Maybe we, there's some music. Then we have a couple prompts that we're like encourage people to share. Maybe there's like a specific way people share that like really emphasizes listening and then like speaking and like creating a real container around interaction to allow people to maybe go deeper. But like another thing that can connect people is just like a really amazing experience that's out of the ordinary, right? And I think personally, that's something that I'm interested in, in diving into more in my own personal kind of design practice, if you will. Um, yeah, it's both out of the ordinary and totally ordinary, right? I do these things where I just walk out my front door and go on wonder walks and just pay attention to my senses. It's like that Mary Oliver, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. And it's right there. It's like so accessible. It's crazy. You know, like it's just about tuning in your senses on a walk and whether it's with your, by yourself or with another person or with a, um, a, a fur child. Right, right. Well, you know, and I'm curious, I think we're coming up towards the end, but do you have any thoughts or advice on for folks who, like myself, might be interested in bringing more wonder into the experiences they're designing or into their gatherings? Yeah, where to start or how to think about bringing it in in, in like a meaningful way? Well, I have a question for you. What evokes wonder for you, like in particular as a child? Can you remember kind of a moment of wonder that really you got lost in as a child or a young adult? That's a great question. I mean, I think as a child, I'll have to think more about that. I mean, I think moments of like play outdoors, 
with friends. Like almost like in a sprinkler in a yard. I think I'm thinking about moments of real joy. I know as an adult, like moments of extended time in nature has been probably the most salient. And, uh, you know, on a hike, particularly on a hike after, like during a retreat of some type, where there's been a lot of silence and that real kind of like increase of the attentional muscle, if you will, to then be able to just like look at a tree and, you know, see the tree as opposed to just walking by the tree. Yeah, I totally know that experience. I had that years ago when I was doing a project with Deepak Chopra where we did this mindfulness meditation. Then I took a walk and then the trees were talking to me, you know, like I just, they were all waving and talking. And so I think all the things are clues that you just talked about. Think about moments of wonder in your own life and say, what are the ingredients? Oh, nature was there. Oh, my friends were there. Oh, we were playing in the sprinkler. To me, it's not so hard when we don't overthink it. We use nature because nature... You know, you'll look at a lot of scientific studies around wonder and nature seems to be a commonality among a number of them, whether it's the night sky, whether it's experience of hiking. Art is another one, the imagination, finding ways to kind of connect and use the hands, the intelligence of the hands, I think is another way of accessing wonder. Play is the most underestimated tool in our experience design world. I used to think, you know, I used to design play experiences and group play experiences. And then I, then I brought home a three and a half pound chihuahua and, and she told me, you know, nothing about play. Let me teach you about play. (laughs) And so I, I just find that our inspiration is like right there, right in front of us, you know, and often it's like, uh, what did we enjoy doing as kids? What kind of brought us that joy? And through there, I think you'll find that. And then I do think shared experiences, people in the aftertimes are going to be hungry for shared real world experiences. The real world is going to seem like the virtual world. It's going to seem like a psychedelic journey that we're actually with humans in real space, in nature, just taking it all in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Barb, I think maybe that's a good place to end it. I know you've been on Zoom a lot. It's all right. But thanks so much for taking the time to be here today and to chat more about this. Maybe down the line, continue the conversation, go deeper into some of the stuff as well. But before we jump off, if there, uh, if folks are interested in learning more about the Nomadic School of Wonder, some of the other stuff that you do, um, where should they look online or, or where should they seek? We have a kind of under the radar presence a bit, but we're nomadicschoolofwonder.com. We're also on Instagram and we have a Facebook group and all are welcome. So. Cool. Well, Barb, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to this conversation from the OpenDiv Summit. For more, check us out at summit.opendiv.org. 